tell you what you're listening to. Welcome to Father Simon Says on Relevant Radio with Father Richard Simon. I'm here to answer your questions. Have a question? Give us a call. 1-888-914-9149. That's any question you may have about the Lord, the faith, and the church. That's 1-888-914-9149. This is, in fact, a radio show called Father Simon Says on Relevant Radio. Well... We got a lot to do today. We're just charging through this book of Samuel. And again, if you don't read the first and second Samuel, these these readings are just little snippets of, you know, uh, you know, I think sometimes when we're in church, we hear the readings like Charlie Brown's uh, mothers and father and the old Charlie Brown cartoons. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Good grief. Amen. The, I, I don't mean to be disrespectful, but read the book. It's amazing. So let's pray. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit, fill the hearts of your faithful and kindle them the fire of your love. Send forth your spirit that shall be created, and you shall renew the face of the earth. Lord, you taught the hearts of the faithful by the light of the Holy Spirit. Grant us by that same spirit to have right judgment in all things, and evermore to rejoice in his comfort through Christ our Lord. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou amongst women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Saint Michael the Archangel, defend us in battle. Be our protection against the wickedness and snares of the devil. May God rebuke him, we humbly pray. And do thou, O Prince of the Heavenly Host, by the power of God, cast into hell Satan, and all the evil spirits who prowl about the world, seeking the room of souls. Amen. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Well, all right, let's open the big book on the coffee table. Where did I put my cheat sheet here? Okay, good. All right. We're jumping ahead again. You know, in the readings, it's real important to, to read this. The, the I think it's real important to look at the citations in, in, in the readings. You know, that today we have... Uh, uh, the reading, if you go to the USCCB site, to the U- United States Conference of Catholic Bishops, you'll see the readings, and you'll see, uh, if you look closely, to SM6 colon 12B-15 comma 1719. And if you then look at yesterday's readings, you will find it's, uh, come on, computer there. Come on, come on, go back, okay. 2 Samuel 5, 1 to 7, comma, 10. In other words, we've jumped from one chapter to the next. We've left out much of the story. This is kind of like a a sampler. What we get in the daily readings is a sampler. And if you really want to understand the readings, if you're really committed to hearing what God has to say, you're going to look at the text of Scripture in its completeness. I mean... You know, I, there's a wonderful Catholic comedian. He he says he's Catholic, not a very good one. Jim Gaffigan, I think he's he's hysterical. Um, <laughs> a little. He's I I don't want to go into that. I don't want to emphasize for Gaffigan, but he, he's he says I don't really read the Bible. I don't have to. I'm Catholic. I that it's a joke. It's a joke. Well, I doubt that Mr. Gaffigan is listening, but read the Bible. There's a reason they call it the good book. 
Nip it in the bud. <laughs> well, yes, it isn't. Yes, I, I remember a, a, an evangelical, a fiercely anti-Catholic evangelical young woman who made the mistake of going to a World Youth Day, and now, of course, she's a grown woman and a gung-ho Catholic with a bunch of lovely Catholic kids, and she and her husband, they they are more Catholic than I am. They're, they're wonderful. But her family, when she, she came into the Catholic Church, her family was very worried. They didn't understand the cult she had joined. And so they came to a mass at St. Thomas and uh, uh, sat in the back pew, and her little sister nudged her mother and said, Mommy, they're reading our Bible. <laughs> I so wanted to say to the kid, <laughs> it's, it's really happened. I so wanted to say to this little girl, a sweet little girl, that, no, it's our Bible. We loaned it to you, and we want it back. So <laughs> read the text. Well, all right. So before we jump into the text of Samuel uh, and fill it in, I want to go to um, the, uh, come on, I want to I want to go to the, the gospel reading today because this is one that in the unending uh, feud that we have, which we shouldn't have, uh, uh, we get told, well, it's clear from the text of Scripture that Mary and Joseph had a normal marital relationship because Jesus had brothers and sisters. Jesus had brothers and sisters. Text never says they're Mary's kids. <clears throat> in fact, is it seemed to indicate the opposite. In fact, is his brothers come to take him home in one text of Scripture uh, because everyone thinks he's crazy. He's embarrassing the family. That's the action of older brothers for a younger uh, sibling. Um, but the most telling detail is that Mary stood alone at the foot of the cross, and from that point on, the Scripture says she lived with John, the beloved disciple. If she had had other siblings, that would have been almost impossible. She would have lived with her other children. It was certainly a, a custom strong enough to be regarded as law. So that's, you know, Mary had one child, Jesus. And uh, the, the, the tradition and the text are very clear that uh, she, she had taken a vow of chastity, and she and Joseph did not have relations. Now, so who are these brothers and sisters of Jesus? We see them mentioned in, I believe it, is it 1st or 2nd Corinthians? should have looked it up. You'll forgive me. I'm Catholic. It's in there somewhere that uh, there was uh, um, the brethren of the Lord. And looking at early Christian literature, we see what's going on, that that um, the the brothers and sisters of Jesus were a group called the Desposine, those who were with the Master. Now, in the Western Church, we tend to believe that they were cousins of Jesus, and the Scripture does seem to indicate that. Two guys named James and Josie, so in one place seem to be brothers of the Lord, but in another place are clearly the children of uh, 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 another woman, not Mary, the mother of Jesus. Um, they, you know, cousins, were they were raised together, they were the, the term didn't exist in Aramaic for brother or sister. It didn't Hebrew, doesn't Greek, but not in Aramaic, which is the language they would have spoken. Uh, you use the term brother. Uh, so, okay. Uh, this group of people really thought that they were to be in charge. Uh, and uh, Paul worked very hard at reminding Peter that he had been appointed to the position of leadership in the church, not the relatives of Jesus. 
In fact, as large parts of the epistles are written to make that point, that we have an apostolic authority, not not a hereditary authority. You know, somebody starts a new religion, a new cult, well, the children of the founder, they're the ones who run things. No, they're not, not in Christianity. And that's why this text is in Scripture. People are saying, well, the relatives of Jesus, they're the ones in charge, the Desposine. They would travel about saying, well, <laughs> we're here, the relatives of Jesus, what's for dinner? Um, I, I'm painting in bright colors and large letters here, but they kind of thought they were something. And uh, this text in Scriptures remind them that, that the blood relationship to the founder means nothing. The relationship to the father means everything. Jesus was not dissing his mother. We see that the, just about the last thing he did in, in, his, in his mortal life on earth, and I use the word mortal, he died. Uh, the last thing he did in his mortal life was take care of his mother. He loved his mother. It's rather clear, and we should too. All right, that said, uh, let's go to this first reading and the, the whole thing that's gone. This is a real important reading. They're all real important from this. All right, let me, let me go to this. Cheat sheet summary I've got here. Second book of Samuel, first chapter. Saul and Jonathan are killed. Uh, essentially, Saul commits suicide, killed by an Amalekite, uh, <clears throat> uh, who Saul had been told to exterminate the Amalekites. He didn't, and one killed him. Then in the second chapter of Second Samuel, there are two kings in Israel. There's one of the sons of Saul, Ishbosheth, and he's running the, the, the northern tribes. There's this this divide between Judah and the other tribes. Third chapter, um, David is is made king uh, of Judea. And um, then the fourth chapter, the, this other king, Ishbosheth, son of Saul, is murdered. And David avenges his death. And um, uh, they come and say, We killed Ishbosheth. You're in charge now. And he's what? He executed them. And. Um, we go on to the fifth chapter. Uh, this is a real important one. David is anointed king uh, um, and conquers the city of Jerusalem. This is a real important idea. Jerusalem is on the border of two tribes. It's on the border of the tribe of Benjamin, which was Saul's uh, tribe, and on the border of the tribe of Judah, which was David's tribe. Kind of like Washington, D.C. is on the border of Maryland and Virginia. It's in neither state, so it doesn't have a loyalty or a debt to either state. Jerusalem was not the property of any tribe. The Canaanites, the Jebusite people or Canaanite people, had never been ousted from Jerusalem because it was a great fortress. So for 400 years, they were there. And finally, David conquers and he doesn't exterminate the, uh, the Jebusites, but um, it, it sounds like they're still around. Now, uh, this is where we are in the sixth chapter. Uzzah is killed. And this is the point I want to make. This is a real important point. They don't bring it up here. We read 2 Samuel 6, 12. David went to bring up the ark of God from the house of Obed-Edom. Now, remember what had happened to the ark of the covenant, that way back uh, in 1 Samuel, uh, the sons of Eli had brought the ark out, uh, 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 Pincus and Hophni, and used it as kind of a magic talisman uh, in battle with the Philistines. And God said, I don't do talismans. The ark was lost. It was placed in the temples of uh, of the Canaanite gods, and, and terrible things happened. So they sent the ark back to Israel, 
And uh, they put it on an ox cart and just let the oxen go. And it ended up in the house of a fellow named Obed-Edom. And uh, David decided after he conquered Jerusalem, we're going to take the ark to Jerusalem. I believe this was uh, not a good thing. (laughs) I'm the only person I've ever heard say that. But David was doing the same thing that Pincus and Hophni had done. He was wanted to use the ark for political and military purposes. He was establishing a new capital, and he wanted the ark, the symbol of the unity of Israel and the power of God and the, the place uh, uh, where, 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 where God dwelt on the, on, the, on, the, on the wings of the cherubim, and he's going to bring it to his city and go, oh, isn't this wonderful and virtuous, and there will be great religious festivity, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Well, let us go to the whole chapter, um, and I think you'll be a bit shocked. Uh, chapter 6, verse 12, we have in the beginning of the reading, um, when it was reported to King David uh, uh, that, that uh, the Lord had blessed the household of Obed-Edom, he brought into that. Why did he get to the house of Obed-Edom in the first place? Well, David and all, well, let's read the first uh, um, verse of, of, of chapter 6. David again assembled all the chosen men of Israel, 30,000 in number, and all the people who were with him set out for Baal of Judah to bring up the ark of God, which bears the name the Lord of hosts, enthroned upon the cherubim. And they transported the ark of God on a new cart and took away, took it away from the house of Abinadab on the hill. Uzzah and Ahio, sons of Abinadab, were guiding the cart, and Ahio walked before it, while David and all the house of Israel danced before the Lord with all their might, singing with lyres, harps, tambours, sistrums, and cymbals. Must have been a swell prayer meeting. As they reached the threshing floor of Nodon, Uzzah stretched out his hand to the ark of God and steadied it, for the oxen were tipping it. Then the Lord became angry with Uzzah. God struck him on that spot, and he died there in God's presence. What? This guy's trying to keep the ark from falling off the cart, and God God kills him? That's not very nice. Well, God is not nice. How often have I told you God has this problem? He thinks he's God. What's going on here? Saul had lost the crown because he decided to, to, to be a priest. He was a king. There was a strict separation of monarchy and priesthood in Israel. Priests were from the tribe of Levi. Saul was from the tribe of Benjamin. David was from the tribe of Judah. A priest was a priest, a king was a king, and there was a separation of powers. In the ancient world, kings arrogated priesthood to themselves, and they often called themselves divine. And God was not going to let that happen to Israel. So, what's going on here? David is already convinced himself he's doing a noble thing, just like Saul convinced himself he was doing a noble thing by bringing Amalek and and the best of the oxen into his capital to sacrifice them there. David has convinced himself he's doing a grand thing in bringing the ark to Jerusalem. And Uzzah, who was not a Levite, only Levites could, could carry the ark, only they could touch the ark. Well, Uzzah, let me help. 
Uzzah was struck dead, and this was a powerful reminder to David that you are not to touch the ark. You are not a priest. You're a king. The two will not mix. And this, it was an important thing. But poor Uzzah, what do you mean poor Uzzah? You know, the people I know have died and lived to tell about it. If they die in the grace of God, it's, it's the most beautiful thing they've ever experienced. You know, I, I don't want to go into that right now. But, um, you know, God, as I said earlier, God has this problem. He thinks he's God. He's in charge. And he's the Lord of, of life. He can, he can take and give life. It's his, it's his right because he created it. So this death of Uzzah was, I believe, to emphasize an absolutely essential point that the, the, uh, the monarchy and the priesthood were to remain separate, that the powers uh, uh, of government and, 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 and the covenant, the religious covenant, these were separate. And it, does, it, it manages to stay that way until we get to the Maccabees, who commit the same sin, and it ended with the destruction of the temple. So, moving along here. Um, <clears throat> when you see this story, it's fascinating to me that in today's reading, they just sort of read around it. Um, I, I, I don't know why that is, but it's an unpleasant thing. Well, David left it right there. And at the house of Obed-Edom, and when it seemed that God had lightened up, David chastened, brings it into Jerusalem on its own terms. So I think that this is an important thing. Well, there you go. Let's let's go to a break, uh, and we will come back with, uh, what do we come back with? We'll come back with letters, but the phones will be open at 888-914-9149. That's 888-914-9149. Ooh, banjo music. If you have real estate or land you no longer need, consider the advantage of donating it to Relevant Radio. The process is easy. The tax advantages can be huge. Learn more at relevantradio.com slash property. Well... Now, Mama don't like no music played around here. Mama don't want no music played around here. We don't care what your mama don't like. Pick just a little more anyhow. Mama don't like no music played around here. Oh, music. That's charms no to soothe the savage beast. I remember the story of an old <clears throat> minister who didn't like music at all. And his parishioner said, but Reverend, it, it, it speaks the ineffable. It... It, 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 it moves the unmovable. And he said, I don't care if it unscrewed the inscrutable. I don't like it. So I thought that was cute. At any rate, let us go now to letters. Oh, I'll go to letters. If I can find my... Ah, I found the mouse. All right. I got a very kind letter. Uh, where I can find it here. Uh, from... Uh, where'd it go? It's, it's a good grief. Uh, I got a very kind letter. I think it's from Tom. Uh, um, uh, uh, he just was enjoyed the show, so I just wanted to mention Tom. Uh, thanks so much for that. It was or was it? Yeah, yeah, it was Tom. So I think it was. Where did I put the? 
All right. Where did I put it? Oh, gosh. It was, uh, oh, in for, there it is. Yes. This is from Tom, and he's just a very kind letter. Uh, uh, Tom from Milwaukee. So, uh, you know, I, I appreciate the, the kind letter, Tom, but do remember, like today, I'm the only person I've ever known who's sort of thought ill of David moving the ark into Jerusalem. I mean, it worked out in the long run, but uh, the Lord had to warn him. So I have a lot of harebrained theories. So t if you take them with a grain of salt, that, that will help. Where's the salt shaker? There, there it is. All right. Now let us go to, uh, um, 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 that's on my license plate, you know. Oh, this is, this is from John. Uh, uh, and is it sinful to restrict oneself to nothing but the Eucharist and holy wine? What? I, I assume you don't mean the blessed sacrament when you say holy wine, but altar wine. That's kind of interesting. There's a, a wine that is certified for liturgical purposes, altar wine. And I assume that's what you're talking about, John. Uh, the the uh, altar wine is certified to be grape and nothing but grape. I, I think they might allow... Uh, uh, what are those preservatives they put in wine that if you get it cold, oh. Sulfites? Say that again? Sulfites? I don't know what it's called. It's a thing they get the wine cold and it, it condenses out and forms this little white stuff. Uh, but it's, uh, I think it can have those now, but I'm not sure. Look up requirements for altar wine, dear voice in my head. It's so nice. I can just say, look it up. And he will. He's a smart fellow. But, um, uh, yeah, it's just grapes, nothing but grape. And I remember it was all the all the rage to use things like uh, Mogan David and port. And Mogan David is kosher. It isn't suitable for religious uh, or for a Catholic mass because they pour buckets of sugar into it. I think my mother considered Mogan David a dry wine, but it's not. They pour buckets of sugar into it, and and it's just good old high fructose whatever or canes. It's some sort of sugar, but it isn't from grapes. If you, you're going to sweeten a wine, it has to be grape sugar. Uh, and we'll get to that later in the word of the day. Okay, but, I have this here. Okay, good. What? So it's from the Code of Canon Law, number 924. The wine that's used in the most sacred celebration of the Eucharistic sacrifice must be natural from the fruit of the grape, pure and incorrupt, not mixed with any other substances. Um, and then it talks about during the celebration itself, a small amount of water yep. has to be mixed with it. So apparently canon law, you can't even put any kind of preservative uh, uh, in, in wine. Uh, so it's just pure grape. And so you get wine for mass if you're uh, in a parish. Maybe what? red or white, weak or strong, sweet or dry. Yeah. Uh, and the sweet wine would have to be uh, fortified with grape sugar. And, and it has to be from the vine, fruit of the vine. Uh, so now that we've clarified that, that so if you're if you're using Mogan David or some sort of interesting wine, no, use use altar wine that's certified. Is it so? Let's get back to the question, which I have successfully avoided answering. Is it sinful to restrict oneself to nothing but the Eucharist and holy wine? Well, if you're not eating anything but the holy Eucharist and you're drinking altar wine on the side, you're gonna get drunk, and that would be sinful. But I would say if you're going to fast that radically for a day or two, fine, but not not any longer, unless you are a mystic who has been told this by God, like I think Anne Catherine Emmerich didn't eat for years, and, and uh, the Bavarian mystic, why can't I think of her name? She ate, didn't eat for years and managed to gain weight. 
Um, so um, other than that situation, no, you got to eat. Uh, the, the, to take good care of your body and to eat good food, healthy food, and sufficient but not excessive food, this is what God wants us to do. Uh, and and so to, to abuse your body in such a way that is unhealthy and eating nothing but the blessed sacrament and drinking altar wine on the side would not be good for your body. Hence, it, it would be sinful. So there you go. That's my theory on it. All right. Let's see here. Um, click. Okay. <clears throat> this is from Greg in Milwaukee. Father Simon, from last Sunday's Epiphany Scripture from Mark, this is a little old, so you'll forgive me. When Herod hears the message of the Magi, they seek the newborn king of the Jews. Matthew reports that Herod was greatly troubled and all Jerusalem with him. It's clear why Herod would be threatened, but what reason would all Jerusalem have to be troubled with him? Well, I think that the phrase all Jerusalem probably really refers to uh, anybody that mattered, <laughs> the, 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 the important people. Um, they would be troubled because the the Messiah coming, well, for instance, uh, uh, the Sadducees, they, they, I really believe it was the Sadducees who had Christ crucified, not the Pharisees. They were making big bucks from the temple. Uh, the Messiah was going to come, and one of the messianic uh, expectations uh, of the Essenes was going to be, uh, we, and generally in Israel, that the Messiah was going to purify the temple. He was going uh, to rebuild the temple. He was going to... Uh, Purify the monarchy and purify the priesthood. The, the family of Annas was making a fortune off the, off the high priesthood. Uh, uh, the temple was, was a national symbol that, that was a great tourist draw, believe it or not, and Herod had no right to be king. So the temple establishment, the priesthood, and Herod— they didn't want a Messiah coming. They were doing just fine without one. So when word came that these magi, who were this international uh, think tank espionage, uh, the magi, they were the they were the the top scholars of the world in that in that era. And apparently, if you were if you could, you had and were a king, you had a magi on the staff. Well, these these. These people who knew what was going on in the world came and said, there's been a Messiah born. Oh, no. So panic. That's why Jerusalem would have been upset, because it was going to upset the whole apple cart, and uh, people were going to be in trouble when the Messiah came. So that's why. Okay. At least that's my theory now. Oh, good grief. Where'd the mouse go? Again, the mouse. Oh, I got the wrong mouse thinger. Okay, I find it. I got a couple mice here. Thank you. And And they... They, uh, they confused me. All right, I've got the right one. Click. Wait, what are we doing time? Oh, we got time for another letter. Good. All right. Okay. I am a daily listener. Curious as to why you may. <laughs> this is great. I am a daily listener. This is from John. Curious as to why you mention Jews and Judaism so frequently on your shows. Many more topics regarding Catholicism would be much more informative and appropriate. Catholics are greatly under-catechized about the basic tenets of the faith. 
So why all the references to Jews and Judaism? Because of the Bible. You can't understand the New Testament without understanding the so-called Old Testament. Everything we have is the fulfillment of the covenant of God with Israel. And that's why I talk about it. The scriptures are essential for our life as Catholics and to understand what they meant in the context of Israel, not, not Jews. You know, Jews, um, how, to, how to put this? Perhaps you've heard me say that, 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 that the Catholic, I believe that it is a misnomer. It is uh, inappropriate to say that, that Catholicism is the fulfillment of Judaism. I don't believe that. We are both the children in a certain sense of the religion of Israel. And I got this from Rabbi Lefkowitz. I'll never forget Rabbi Lefkowitz said to me, you Catholics, you're more Jewish than we are. You have temples and you have sacrifices, and we don't do that anymore. For us, the only important thing is the moral and ethical content of the Torah. And I just wanted to say, Rabbi, are we reading the same book? Every page in the Old Testament seems to drip with sacrificial blood. But he had a point that that we are the fulfillment of the covenant that God made with David, with with Adam, with Noah, with Abraham, with David, and through Christ in the Eucharist. This is not this is not you know Judaism is a development of the religion of Israel. Catholicism is a or Christianity, sacramental Christianity, is a development of the the religion of Israel. You can't get away from it, and if you do, you're not going to understand it. Uh, it's just really important to to be aware of these things. So I'm very curious about this question. And I don't do topics. I'm not doing topics. I'm studying the Bible. That's what this show is. There are other shows on Relevant Radio that do topics, and they're wonderful shows, and I encourage you to listen to them. Uh, but here I try to, to read the big book on the coffee table and help you to do so. So that's why. Hope that answers your question. Um, and, and, of course, it's also great fun to, to have me lose my mouse. Once again, I've lost—ah, there it is. This is getting tedious. There's the mouse. Okay, got it. All right, let's see. I think I can do one more question. Oh, and there are plenty of lines open at 888-914-9149. 888-914-9149. Uh, let's see here. Um. This is an odd question. This is Joyce from New York State. I have an in-law who's actively high on pot all the time. Is it okay to visit, still to visit him and hang out with him? Yeah, but I do it in the fresh air as much as possible. You know, well, what's the difference? You got pot, you got alcohol. I mean, huge difference. Uh the, the the active ingredients in marijuana really really do cause permanent uh, 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 brain changes. I, I had a buddy who, uh, when he was young, he was a pothead, and uh, um, this guy, you know, pot tends to destroy the happy receptors in your brain. That that it really does uh, uh, create uh, depression. And there's been some studies, especially young people. Are, are having cognitive problems and depression. 
the, especially the pot that is out there today is so much stronger than it was in the 60s. It was bad enough in the 60s. So, yeah, it's not a sin for you to, to be kind to this relative. He may need you. But I would not go in the house a lot because you're going to get what they call a contact high, and you don't want that. You want to avoid any kind of uh, uh, secondhand smoke, but especially marijuana smoke. So that's the little bit that I know about it. So I hope that helps. All right. Speaking of of uh, of brain damage, <laughs> we're about to go to the word of the day, but we're going to take a break first. And the phones are open at 888-914-9149. Looking for a new job? How about one that offers you opportunities for spiritual, social, and charitable growth? Our sponsor, the Catholic Order of Foresters, is hiring new agents today. Visit relevantradio.com slash forester, an Illinois life insurance society not available in all states. I say now, everybody gonna have religion you glory. Now. Everybody gonna be singing I a story. Everybody gonna have a wonderful time up there. Oh, 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 oh glory, hallelujah. You better get the record of the coming of the morning. Now. You better get it ready, cause I'm giving yes, you a yes, yes, Everybody gonna have a wonderful time up there. Mm-hmm. Well, that's true. Oh, good grief. Uh, the, the, uh, um, okay, click on the mouse. I got the mouse. All right, let us move on to uh, um, the word of the day. And, oh, gosh, I had this. The word of the day uh, is, is well, raisin cake. Hmm. The, uh, uh, it has nothing to do with cake. Uh, this is kind of an interesting thing. I, of course, looked it up and lost it. Okay, Second Samuel six nineteen. Uh, the I'm going to want to give you the Hebrew word for raisin cake. It's a fun one. Uh, let's see. You have the raisin cake. Okay, which is a um, uh, uh, it's a it's an a what is it? Hold on. It's a shisha. A shisha is a raisin cake. Has nothing to do with cake. What you would do is dry these raisins out and press them together, and it really means the word doesn't mean cake. I don't know why they translated cake. It kind of means a bunch. That's really what it means. It means a a bunch, uh, a, a cluster. So the word we see for a fig cake that also doesn't have anything to do with cake. It has to do with a bunch. What you do is is uh, uh, let's see. There was the loaf of bread, the piece of meat, cake of raisins. There's a f- a fig, a bunch of. I don't know if it's in this passage or not, but they did the same thing with figs. What you do is you press them together. They didn't have sweeteners in the ancient world uh, like we do. Honey was the main sweetener, but it was not that easy to get. And uh, you had um, uh. Dates, you had figs, you had grapes, and you can get sugars from those. But they didn't have cake the way we have it. And when you see a cake of this, it means a loaf. But a loaf of raisins, that these things would be pressed together. So I don't know why. I just saw that and thought, raisin cake. It sounds yummy, like, well, like a fruitcake. And there's some of us who like fruitcake and some of us who don't. I don't want to weigh in on that debate. I am personally in favor of a good fruitcake. But... (laughs) 
Don't anybody send fruitcake. Lent is coming up. I don't need it. But uh, so I just wanted to reassure you that raisin cakes were just compressed bunches of raisins that would have been quite appreciated and very valuable. All right. That said, I'm sure that that edifies you spiritually. Let's go to phones. Why don't you ask me a little easy question? Will you answer it? A tiny one. Neven from Berkeley. What can I do for you? How are you today? I'm good. I'm good. What can I do for you? I'm not going to take a lot of time. Uh, I've been an uh, actor off and on for 40 years. Oh. So, I, so I call California the Sodom and Gomorrah of the West. Oh, well, there you go. Well, uh, there's <laughs> lots of Sodoms and Gomorrahs in the country these yes. days. Uh, so <laughs> That's right. giving, giving uh, California you know a run for its money. I've, uh, I have a lot of friends in California who are virtuous, so they're saving the state. Well, what well, can yeah, I do for I you? Too. I mean, but yeah. still, uh, the laws they pass in this state oh, are gosh, not yeah. virtuous. No, that that no. that really and is kind of wacky. Yes. Well, yeah, what can I what can I do for you, Neven? What's your question? Yeah, well, I wondered. Uh, you know, David liked Jonathan a lot. So when uh, Jonathan's father got killed, how come he didn't spare Jonathan? How come Jonathan didn't get killed? Well, when you think about it, everybody dies, and everybody dies in different ways. And the the I would you know it's hard to guess God's purposes, but there would have been political difficulties. In other words, you know I often think about Abraham Lincoln's death. If Abraham Lincoln had lived, his life would have been very difficult, and. You know, he died, he lost consciousness while laughing. And you wonder if it isn't God's mercy. You know, I've heard people say that, that um, or heard the saying that, that if a person dies too young, or, or it's, it's, it's tragic. And it, we're like fruit on a tree. You know, if you pluck the fruit when it's too young, it's, it, it's not ripe. If you let it go too long, it falls to the earth and rots. But there's a moment where you touch the fruit and it almost jumps into your hand. The moment of perfect ripeness. And the moment of perfect ripeness is known uh, for human beings is known to God alone. But I suspect that, as in the case of Abraham Lincoln, that Jonathan's life would have been very difficult uh, because David was clearly God's choice for king and there would have been political parties who were pushing Jonathan. So... You know that 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 uh, you know it's just it's just speculation, but but uh, the the extinction of the line of Saul was was part of the, part of the deal. So I don't know if that helps, Neven. Uh, but thanks for calling. It was it's uh, hang in there in California. The climate's nice. I I like the climate, and I like a lot of the people. A lot of the people. I got a lot of relatives there. Mary Ellis, how can I help you? Hello, Father. Yes. Um, yesterday, I could not hear your program yesterday because I was at work, but you had someone who had written in asking how the Catholic Church determines yes. when Easter Sunday is. Do they throw a dart at the calendar? No. <laughs> I. Um, <laughs> we could I try have, it. It might work, but go on. <laughs> it, yeah, yeah, right. It could. Um, but I remember learning in Catholic grade school up in Cleveland Heights, Ohio, uh, probably third or fourth grade, that Easter Sunday is on the first Sunday after the first full moon, after the vernal equinox. Yes, it is. That's exactly it. Okay, your your producer, whomever said yesterday, they left out one of those components. So oh. I said, "All right, Mary Alice, try and call in." But <laughs> oh, 
So, but it keeps in line with the lunar calendar and also the Jewish Passover. Yes, yes. Um, right? Is yeah, he did He did mention the Paschal element, which I think covered the, the missing yeah. term. But don't worry, he'll, he's going to bed tonight without supper. I'll deal with him. <laughs> so. okay. All right, love your program, Father. Right. And even with all of... With all of the Jewish information in the background, I love it because you're you're tying in all of the history well, of of the basis of our faith. It's wonderful. I love it. Yeah, we have an historical faith. It really happened in a real place yes. at a real time, and I think that is important to know. Yeah. So. Well, thanks yes. for calling in, okay. Mary Ellis, and uh, right. thanks for God the and I will <laughs> deal with the producer. Ah! How embarrassing. No, actually, he when he threw in it, what was it, the first full moon after the Paschal equinox? Yeah, the Paschal covered it. Vernal, Paschal, let's call the whole thing off. Let's go to Tracy, who's calling from Loveland, Colorado. Tracy, how can we be of service to you? Hi, Father Simon. Thank you for taking my call. Um, I was having a conversation yesterday with a non-Catholic in regards to the elect of God, and these people are supposedly pre-selected for salvation, and they can't lose it. Yeah, um, I did a little look at it. That sounds kind of like Calvinism. But yep. where does Scripture defeat this, and um, what what's the Catechism say in regards to this? Please. Oh, the Catechism is uh, four square for free will. Uh, we can, you know, say, well, no one can snatch you from my hand. Is the verse that they that they uh, uh, often quote in Scripture and. Uh, the uh, uh, yeah, no one can snatch you from God's hand, but you can jump out if you want. That Jesus clearly uh, indicates that that we have free will. Um, when he, for instance, when he questions the the rich young man, and the rich young man uh, turned away sadly because um, uh, he had many possessions. So uh, Jesus gave him an opportunity. It just seems consistent in Scripture that we can choose the good. Uh, much of our life is determined by circumstances, but what we choose, uh, even if what we choose doesn't come to pass, what we choose determines freedom. And they'll often quote um, uh, St. Paul's letter to the Romans, those whom he foreknew, he predestined, and it doesn't say to go to heaven or hell. Those whom he foreknew, he predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son. Well, that's the same thing as to go to heaven. No, it's not. It's it's about our, our vocation in the world. Uh, that that uh, uh, the scriptures are full of instances of people who choose God or who reject God, and and I, I think that uh, uh, the the catechism. Well, I would have to look up free will in the catechism, but uh, it's easy to do. We'll I'll, I'll try and do it. And maybe comment on. Does that help at all, Tracy? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. The passages they quote about predestination don't talk about being predestined to go to heaven and hell. And of course, these things are being written in Greek. And uh, I think we got free will here. It Nick, starts on um, number seventeen thirty in the Catechism. Okay, can you read a snippet? Freedom is the power rooted in reason and will to act or to not act, to do this or that, and so perform deliberate actions on one's own responsibility. By free will, one shapes one's own life. Human freedom is a fourth for force for growth and maturity and truth. It attains its perfection when it's directed toward God. Now, what chapter is that? 1731. 1731. If you have a good catechism in the back, they will have the biblical references for that. So, so yeah. Yeah, I, I just, you know, that, that 
they have the habit of taking a scriptural passage, reading it in the King James Version, and making a theological judgment on it. And and I know that in the Greek text I've looked it up often, it means, it means destined. We don't believe in fate. We do believe in destiny. We have a destiny, but we can choose it or reject it. They were, they were destined uh, to be conformed to the image of God. They weren't fated to it. Uh, this is, this is uh, essential to, to the faith that we choose or reject the Lord. So I hope that helps, Tracy. God bless. Yeah. And I will be praying for you as you come close to the faith and to growing in your faith and to, to joining us in the church. God bless you. All right. Thank you. Bye. All right. God bless. Let's go to Craig from Monterey Park, California. What can I do for you? Hello, Father. Yes. Uh, my question is about the third section of Article 9 on the dogmatic constitution yes. of the church. Yes. Okay. It says, as Israel, according to the flesh, wandered in the desert, was already the church of God. Then it gives scripture reference, Numbers, Deuteronomy. So to the new Israel, which advances in this present era in search of the future in the permanent city, is already called the Church of Christ, which and then it gives a reference to Matthew sixteen eighteen. Yes. So the Church is seen very clearly as the new Israel. Yes. And in Ephesians, it also says that Christ through the cross united both Gentiles and Jews under the new dispensation. Yes, a new dispensation, a new covenant. Yes. Yes. Nowhere so in the Scripture the will you ever find the phrase new Israel. You do find it in the documents of Vatican II, but it is not a biblical term. The new dispensation, I'd have to look up the new dispensation. Israel of God. Say that again? Galatians, Paul Paul uses the expression in Galatians, the Israel of God. Yes. Talking about the Jews and the Israel of God is the new Israel, which is. Does he say new Israel? No, he just says the Israel of God. The Israel of God. There is only one Israel in the scriptures. You will not find the phrase new Israel in the scriptures. As far as I can tell, I've never found it. Yeah, and you then know. when you go to the breviary, um, and uh, I think it's uh, where Cyril of Jerusalem mm-hmm. is quoted in the breviary. Yeah, uh, it's like the seventeenth or the eighteenth work. I'm trying to get it up here. Yeah, um, he talks like quite explicitly about the church being the fulfillment and the new Israel and everything. So it's in sacred yeah, tradition as well. Yeah, it's in, well it's in the, the tradition. Like it isn't in the scriptures, though. Uh, the the point that I'm trying to make is that 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 you know there's so much controversy about is the covenant with Israel negated and my point is no that Israel has not been rejected it's just as Saint Paul says in the letter to the Hebrews we have better promises and the covenant that God made with Israel does not promise life after death. It does not promise the complete forgiveness of sins. It does not promise the resurrection. The new covenant does. And I stick by my guns on this. The new Israel is not mentioned in Scripture. It is mentioned in the council documents, and some of the fathers of the church talk about it. But for the first 150 years of Christianity, uh, well, the first hundred, well, 110 years probably, 120 years, Christianity was thought of as a sect of Judaism. And if you don't understand uh, the the covenant that God made with Israel, you're not going to understand the covenant that God made through Christ. Uh, This is is a real thing. And, you know, the fathers of the church, Cyril mentions it, it's mentioned in the council documents, but it isn't a biblical term. 
just did not. Yes. So, uh, Father, about the providence, yes. you had that question about uh, Jonathan. Yes. Jonathan did die, but his son was uh, lived, and even though he was crippled, David took special care yes, of him. Yes, he did. But but uh, the the uh, I think there would have been a very yeah David being a man after God's own heart did take care of him so but uh, the the I think there was I'd have to look there was even conspiracy regarding him so all right let's see I think I, oh I do let's go to Florence in Maplewood Minnesota thanks for calling in John God bless but uh, uh, um, the oh no not the Let's go to Florence. Florence from Maplewood, Minnesota. What can I do for you? Hi, Father. I would just like to com uh, compliment you for uh, discussing David. Like you said, uh, when you read the Bible, it's easy to understand everything that is going on. And I'm going through um, Bible study, uh, Ascension Press, and we are discussing the books of Samuel. Uh, we did Samuel. Uh, First Samuel last week, and we are doing it uh, second Samuel this week, and it's enjoyable just listening it's, to you. Well, it, the, the, this is one of the greatest stories. This would make such a great uh, TV series. Uh, it's it just—I was it, thinking the same thing. Adventurous. <laughs> it's just amazing. Yeah. It's just amazing. So, uh, well, good. Glad you're studying the text of Scripture, and uh, and if you run across the phrase "New Israel," tell me where it is. <laughs> I, I, it, it really, it really isn't in the Bible, and uh, it is in the Council document, the Second Vatican Council, and uh, I. It's just one of those axes I grind, but. Congratulations on, on learning the scripture. That's that's just wonderful. Let's go to John from Chicago. What can I do for you, John? Father, please explain uh, Jesus yesterday in the gospel saying that the yes. uh, blaspheming the Holy Spirit is unforgivable. Thank yes. You. Unforgivable. First of all, the word forgivable means to forgive in Greek means to let go. God let goes, lets go of our sins if we ask him to and we repent if we don't uh, hang on to them. The point is that if I refuse to acknowledge God and acknowledge my sin, God does not, is, is not able, he has made himself not able uh, to, to, to move me from my position. The, the sin against, blasphemy against the Holy Spirit, the sin against the Holy Spirit, we've always said, has two dimensions. Despair, my sin is too big for God to forgive, or presumption, I don't need God to forgive me, I'm bigger than God. So uh, that when we're in those positions, when, we're, when we put ourselves in a position where I will not ask for forgiveness, then God says, okay, if that's what you want. He has, he has decided that he will be unable to override our free will, which goes back to the question of another listener. So that's the idea, that the minute that I say, oh, yeah, I've sinned, then God can begin to move in my life again. I have let go of sin. The sin against the spirit of sin, I have to let go of. And speaking of letting go, i got to let go of the microphone because Drew's, Drew's trying to rip it out of my hands here. 